Good morning, church. If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the word? Uh, if you're new here, if this is your first Sunday, my name's Alex. I'm a pastor here at First Church. We want to welcome you. Uh, today we are going to read the end of Titus. We're going to conclude our study uh, of this letter. We're going to be reading Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Uh, it should be right here on the slide. We're going to be reading out of the NASB today. It says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We often uh, take communication for granted in today's uh, age. It's so easy with technology that at any second, you can pretty much call or message or email anyone throughout the entire world. Just like that, you can be in constant communication with anyone. And it hasn't always been like this. In fact, it's from the majority of human history, it has not been like this. Communication has been something that has been difficult over long distance. And when that distance was traveled, it was, it was a very valuable time. And even today, even when you can communicate with people, we still value that human connection, that when you're unable to see someone for a long time, whenever you're finally together, there's a great joy and a great value in finally coming together. I have a friend, uh, he is a pastor out in Missouri. He's, he's actually, uh, that church is the, is the other church we partnered with to make our Titus Devo, uh, my friend Mason. Uh, we live pretty far away, like 12 hours away. And we had gone a few years without seeing each other. We just hadn't been at any same shared location for, for a few years. Um, and then one of my, our professors from Johnson uh, does this spiritual formation summit. It's this retreat for pastors and church leaders and, and really anyone who wants to come. Uh, but I went to it for my first year. Mason had gone, I think, the year before. But we both went to the same one uh, in the year and it had been the first time we had been together for years. And it was great. It was like, oh, yeah, hey, how are you doing? We wanted to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But right when we got there, everything pretty much started. We had our first session. So we're busy doing all the retreat stuff. And then what I uh, came to find out is that this retreat, the very first night you're there, we do this thing. It's, it's really cool um, where we end the first night in complete silence. And there's no talking. There's no speaking or anything like that until the sun rises the next morning and we all gather together that next morning and as the sun rises we sing a hymn uh, and start our day and it's really beautiful to just sit in silence for a long period of time and then for the silence to be broken as the sun rises and we're looking at the beautiful Tennessee mountains it's this incredible experience but the thing is is that in between that time Mason and I both have very little children and for whatever reason uh, the good Lord decided to wake us both up despite not being with our children at the ripe time of 3.40 a.m. And we both didn't realize this, but we both woke up right at the same time and neither of us were able to go back to sleep. We both walk into the, to the common building and I walk into the common building and I see him already sitting there. I'm like, what's going on? But we can't talk to each other. And so we hadn't seen each other for years. And this is the first time we've actually able to talk, but we're supposed to sit in silence. And Mason and I take roles like really seriously. So we both sat there for the next like three to four hours, 
just silently staring at each other, just waiting to be able to talk to, to one another because we, we desperately wanted to talk. We were like sending little notes back to each other and making hand gestures and all of that. But we couldn't talk to one another. We're just sitting right there. And then finally morning came, we did our first session and then we could talk and it was great. But that experience made me realize like we really take communication for granted and you don't realize how much you, you value and how much you need that shared human connection and fellowship, especially with your other brothers and sisters in Christ, until you don't have it anymore. Last week in, in our study on Titus, uh, we, we talked a bit about how uh, the biblical letters are formed and, and how the biblical letters function through arguments. But there's another feature of the biblical letters, and, and really this is a feature of any letter that you, you write today, is at the end of every letter in the New Testament, pretty much, it, it always has a very similar ending. And it's this greeting. It's we just read it here. Usually the author of the letter is saying, hey, this person says hi, that person says hi. Hey, I want you to tell this person to do this. I want you to tell that person to keep doing that. We, we all say hi. It's this big powwow. You can go to the end of every New Testament letter and you'll see that kind of greeting. And it's really easy for us to overlook those greetings. Because often when, we, when we're reading the Bible, we're like, all right, God, teach me something. Tell me what to do. And then we get to the greetings of it's just people saying hi. And it's like, all right, we'll skip over that. I don't know any of these people. I've never heard any of these names. It, it's really important to not skip over it. Because those greetings at the end of the letters are a great insight into the, the people who made up the early church. Here, pull, pull, the, pull the scripture back up real quick. These are real people. Uh, in the devotional for the Titus series, it's either the first or the second entry. Um, part of the devotional talks about how when we read Titus, we should read it as this loving letter between a, a, a father and a son, right? Paul is writing to Titus and he describes Titus as his spiritual son, right? Paul and Titus are real people. Artemis and Tychicus and Zenus and Apollos, they're real people who lived real lives. And not just that, but their life and their work was, was highly instrumental in the, the movement that was the early church. These people worked and worked and loved one another and shared the good news with the rest of the world tirelessly. And you will, you will never know much about Zenos. You'll never know all that much about Tychicus. Right? Their names barely come up in the Bible at all. But this is just a little window into the humanity of the Bible, that these are real people who lived real lives. It's not just Paul, it's not just Titus, but there's countless and countless people who are at work behind the scenes when we come to this letter. In fact, even the Bible in and of itself, this whole time we've been focused on Paul and Titus, but the truth is that Paul and Titus, aren't, they're not the only people involved in this letter. See, it's so easy for us to fixate on like, oh, this is a letter from Paul, or this is a letter from Peter, or like Mark wrote this gospel, and we think of it as these figureheads. But the truth is, is that the formation of the Bible did not come about from just a few key leaders. But the formation of the Bible was a team effort in literally every way, right? Writing the Bible was a team effort. If you go through the biblical letters, you'll see that even though the letters are from Paul, they're not only. There's plenty of letters where at the beginning, you'll see it says Paul and Timothy, or uh, I think it's in Romans where Paul wasn't even the one who actually wrote it. He dictated it to someone else and that other person wrote it down. 
And there's a couple of letters in the Bible where it'll be really funny. You'll get to the end and Paul will be like, see what large letters I write my own name kind of a thing. Because he wasn't actually writing it. He was saying it to other people or some letters were like a, a group of people all working together to craft a letter. Right. But Paul, because of, of his leadership and his being a, an apostle, he's like the figurehead who's like, I'm behind this. These are my words kind of a thing. And they get sent out. But it's not just Paul. It's a whole team of people who are active and responsible and participating in the writing of the scriptures. Every time you open up your Bible, it, it, your Bible wasn't just written by a handful of people. There are countless, countless authors. We will never know the true number of people who actually participated in writing the Bible. And not just in writing, but delivering the Bible was a team effort. Because Paul didn't hand deliver these letters out. He was busy writing, or a lot of times he was busy being imprisoned, in, in right? He had to send it with other people. People like Phoebe, and even people like Titus, where he sends out these letters. He has to rely on other people to deliver them. And even the recipients of these letters weren't just solo recipients. But in fact, when the biblical authors wrote these letters, even though they had this very personal mission with the letter, they intended it to have a widespread application. Right? You see this, um, I think it's in Colossians. If you go to the end of Colossians, Paul says, hey, make sure you give this letter to the church in Laodicea and make sure that they give you the letter I wrote to them. Right? We, we approach these works as if they're deeply personal, but from the very beginning, they were intended to not only be personal, but to be communal and widespread, that these letters were shared and copied and passed around. And that's how we even have them today, because there are countless people who preserved these works, who copied these works and shared it with the rest of the church. When we look at the Bible, it's, it's easy to have these like key figureheads, these key leaders, right? And if you grow up in church, you hear all the Sunday school stories, right? You hear about Moses and about David and Jonah, right? All these key people. But the truth is that the kingdom of God has never just been a handful of people. It has been countless, countless, countless people who've worked tirelessly for the sake of the kingdom of God. Thousands and thousands of years. Just last week, I had the opportunity to teach the fifth and sixth grade class, and we talked about the formation of the Bible. And the truth is that the, the Bible, the book that you hold in your hands this morning, if you take like the most conservative dating, right? If you take the most conservative dating, it's like at minimum 4,000 years old. That for thousands of years, the people of God have worked tirelessly to love one another, to teach one another who God is, and to make sure that every generation after them had the word of the Lord. This is beyond just key leaders. This is beyond just me and you. But the family of God is a family that is stretched throughout the entire world, thousands of years. And we'll never know 99.9% .9 of the names of all of the people who have given up their lives and have worked tirelessly so that we could be sitting right where we are, coming to know our God and our Savior. So when we get to the end of this letter in Titus, let's not skip over it, but let's see this greeting as a window into the life of the church 
into the lives of people we've never met, into the lives of people who lived thousands of years before us, and yet they modeled what it means for us to imitate Christ and to be a church, to be filled with Christ-like love for one another and to commit ourselves to living like Christ, both in how we relate to one another and in how we show the rest of the world who we are. It's a window into the humanity of the Bible. And that window shows us that the life of the church is not built upon just key leaders or figureheads, but that the life of the church is really built upon the actions of every single, the health of our congregation, the spiritual maturity of our congregation is dependent upon every single person in this room because the mission of the church is a team effort. Look at, the, look at this language at the end of Titus. Right, The beginning of Titus starts off with this personal letter between Paul and his spiritual son, Titus. And it's talking about like the key leaders who are going to lead congregations. But by the end of the letter, you'll see there's this ballooning effect throughout the whole letter of Titus, where it starts with this very narrow focus, and it gets wider and wider and wider. It starts out just between Paul and Titus, looking at Christ. And then it balloons out further, looking at the elders of congregations. And then it balloons out further, looking at the older Christians in the church discipling the younger generations. And then it balloons out further. Do you get to this point? Here, pull, pull up the, the scripture, Daniel. The language at the end, the very, very, very end of the letter is not personal language between two people. It's not tight language just between a group of people, like a group of elders. But the language you get at the very end of the letter is look at, look at verse 15. All, everyone who is with me, and grace be with you all. There's this ballooning effect throughout the whole letter that as the letter goes on, the scope of the letter, the focus of the letter becomes more and more widespread to the point where even though it started very personal, it ends. Everyone with Paul greets everyone with Titus. And now every single member of every church, every single follower of Jesus is now brought into the conversation where every single follower of Jesus has a responsibility to do what? to engage in good deeds, to live like Christ for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of one another. And that's the really cool thing about the Bible is that the Bible is deeply personal and communal at the same time. When we're reading this personal letter between Paul and Titus, we know it's not only between Paul and Titus, but that it's actually something for all of us here today, sitting 2,000 years later. This is why when we approach the Bible, we have to understand that the Bible wasn't written to us. There's a very clear recipient here in this letter. This letter was written to Titus. We live 2,000 years later. It wasn't written to us, but it still is written for us. Because even as Paul pens this very personal letter, he's penning it with the idea that this is going to be spread and copied for churches, all the churches that Titus has a hand in, in planting and helping form and establish and helping get them going and helping establish leaders, this letter is for all of them and it's for all of us. It's not just personal. It's not just focused on one key person. But this letter is actually an invitation for each and every single 
one of us, that we all have a part, we all have a place in the kingdom of God. And that the health of our church, the mission of our church, the activity of our church, the maturity of our church is not just dependent upon one or two people, but that we all participate in the development and the mission of our church. Every single one of us has to take this calling. We have to take this invitation seriously. It doesn't matter if, if you have one or two people right, who can speak well or who can preach well or who can sing well. If the entire congregation isn't actually living like Christ, that's nothing. That's hollow and it's empty and it's worthless. But we could have terrible singing and terrible, or I shouldn't say terrible preaching, but uh, maybe bad speaking, right? And if everyone in this congregation was filled with a Christ-like love and pursued Christ with all of their heart and mind and soul and strength, then that would be a wonderful, amazing offering to God. Paul really echoes this in 1 Corinthians, right? He says, if I don't have love, it doesn't matter if I can sing like an angel. My voice would be like, a, if I don't have love, if we do not love Christ, and if we do not imitate Christ, and if we do not live as Christ lived, and live in that regenerative way that we talked about last week. What we do here does not matter. It does not matter one bit. It is hollow and empty. It is a whitewashed tomb that may look pretty on the outside, but is only filled with death. Let us not be a church that is just filled with death because the fear that we should, I think, rightfully hold is that there, throughout the thousands of years, have been churches that were whitewashed tombs where they looked very pretty on the outside but all that was inside was death. Let us be a church that is, that has been raised from death to life by the work of Christ. And that only happens if it's all of us. Doug, uh, Doug, where are you? Oh my goodness. Doug Noon brought this. And uh, some of you might remember it. It was from our 80th anniversary as a church. Um, I was negative 20 years old i think when this happened i was i i so i i actually was born like a, a month before or after our 100th anniversary which i find pretty cool uh but at our church's 80th anniversary we we had a special service and it was a really cool event because we have this little booklet that everybody got and we have one of these in the office and it's it's incredible because this booklet uh it retells the history of our church. Like half of it starts from the very beginning of when our church was formed. And it goes through the decades. And you get all these stories of, of all kinds of different people who have lived and worked, who have worked tirelessly, who have sacrificed. And they've all done that so we could be here today reading the word of the Lord and worshiping him, right? people that we we don't know right the congregation it was actually officially chartered by these 16 members walter king cora king martin lockard george hetler thomas regger op finney wm rudisill elizabeth rudisill amanda i'm gonna say some of these names wrong i feel bad amanda reacher <laughs> Clyde lockard carrie moore della kugler eva reader lola holland lizzie hetler cora rieger Right, names that maybe some of them may be familiar. But for most of us, 
for most of these names. They're people we've never met. They lived 128, 129 years before us. That's how long our church has, has been a congregation. These names, it's easy for these names to mean to us. But these people lived and worked and sacrificed in pursuit of Christ. And we are now here today because of that work and that sacrifice. This very second is not going to be the end of the world. It's so easy for us to get wrapped into whatever's currently going on and this day and this day's problems. But the truth is, is that this world will go on and on and on and on until God has fully completed his work of restoration and redemption and there is a new heavens and a new earth. And even at that point, then that world will go on forever and ever and ever for all of eternity. Let us live in such a way that generations from now, people will know Jesus and worship Jesus because of how we lived and worked and sacrificed and pursued Christ. We do not get here today because of a handful of key leaders or figureheads. We get here today because of the countless people who lived and worked. Countless people who didn't even end up in this book, who have been all but forgotten, except for by their Savior. It's easy for human beings to forget. It's easy for us to move. But take this opportunity to recognize how God has been present, and God has been active, and God has been working through his people since the dawn of time, through countless people whose names you will never know. God has been alive and active and stable, and he has been with his people. He has never left them or abandoned them. And that has brought us to this place today. All of those people took this seriously and imitated Christ in all that they did. Let us join them and let us join their legacy and let future generations be able to look back, even though they will never know who we were but they will be able to know Jesus and pursue him and worship him because of our pursuit of Christ. Let us follow in these people's footsteps and continue to spread the gospel throughout the known. Titus starts focused on a, on a personal relationship. It starts with forming churches and establishing leaders, but it ends with a calling for every follower of Christ to model Christ-like love for the rest of the world, both the world living in that current moment and for every generation to come. Let us do the same. Let us commit living like Christ to loving him, to doing every good deed, just as these Christians did. Because every single one of us has an invitation to be a worker in the kingdom of God. That's an invitation that Christ gives every single one of us. He says, I saved you. I have regenerated you. I have made you new. Now I invite you into a mission and to a purpose. I invite you into a calling. Let's take that calling up. If you would, would you please pray with me?